from London, Michael joins us on the first Sundays of every month for a full two hours. Otherwise, we meet for 90 minutes every Sunday of the year. Uh, and he's here to answer your questions. Um, and it always goes fast. If you're watching us on YouTube as a recording, you're welcome to watch us live and in person any Sunday of your choice, any first Sunday or regular Sunday. You can join us, our smaller group, too, by sending me an email, and I'll put you on the list. My name is Ted. Email address is newsguy55 at aol.com, N-E-W-S-G-U-I-5-5 at aol.com. As I keep uh, admitting more people to the forum today, I will send you a link. It's the same link we use every week. So once you got it, you have it. Michael, good morning to you. Good to mm -hmm. see you. <laughs> We've got a lot of questions, so let's get right into it now. There's a person in India who's uh, always sending me wonderful stories about Ramana and quotes, which I can use on our weekly newsletters. Uh, her name, his name is Nyanika J. Araman, and we're going to begin with uh, Nyanika's question, if it's okay. And it goes like this, I exist is the only permanent self-evident experience of everybody. Nothing else is so evident as I am. What people call self-evident, that is, the experience they get through the senses, is far from self-evident. Is this correct, that the self alone is that? And Michael, I take it I'm supposed to pause here because you wrote some of your own notes. Yeah, I, I, will, I will explain about that. I will explain about that. So take it away. Um, yes, it is correct. But this quotation is... There, nowadays, there are a lot of quotations that are floating around on the internet attributed to Bhagavan. Some of them are completely complete fabrication. They have nothing to do with anything that Bhagavan ever said. Some of them, like this one, does have a source. It, this is actually um, uh, coming from originally from day by day. However, I don't know why people just people change the quotations according to their whims and fancies. There is a, an app called the Ramana Maharshi app which every day gives a quotation from Bhagavan. And um, people have sometimes sent me these quotations, and many of them I have found, like this one, I don't know whether this comes from that app or not, but like this one, they are based on some passage from books like Talks or Day by Day, but they are not exact quotation. I mean, it's not, they, it, it, it changes. It's not exactly as it is in the book. But this particular passage comes from the the, the source of it is from day by day, twenty uh, second of March, nineteen forty six afternoon. Um, what is how it is recorded in day by day is I exist is the only permanent self evident experience of everyone. Nothing else is so self evident, pratyaksha, as I am. What people call self evident is the experience they get through the senses is far from self-evident. The self alone is that. Pratyaksha is another name for, um, for the self. So to do self-analysis and be I am is the only thing to do. Uh, I am is the reality. I am this or that is unreal. 
I am is truth, another name for for self. I am is I am God is not true. Um, this is how it's recorded in day by day. So what is what uh, Nayanika has uh, quoted here? I don't know where she got it from, but it is. It seems to be based on this, but it's not. It's it's uh, um, it, it's it's not given exactly as it is in day by day. Um, if people want to quote from uh, books like Day by Day and Talks, though Day by Day and Talks are not exact, um, the exact words of Bhagavan, because Bhagavan was speaking in Tamil, um, these people who recorded these books, uh, this Devaraj Mudliya recorded Day by Day, they recorded what they had understood from memory. That is, if you listen to a conversation, you 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 won't be able to write down verbatim afterwards exactly what was said. You'll write down what you what you understood of what was said and what you remember of what you understood. So these are not the exact words of Bhagavan. But if we're going to quote something, even if it's not the exact words of Bhagavan, we should quote it as it is, and we should give the source. Um, so these people who would keep on giving. Uh, quotation from Bhagavan without the source, and but turn out to be um, not exactly as it was recorded in the original books. So They're just doing a disservice to people. But I mean, the gist of what is um, what is recorded in day by day is um, is conveyed in what um, Nayanika has um, has uh, passed on to Ted. Um, as I say, where she got it from, I don't know, but I suspect it would have been some online source. Um, but coming to the substance of what is said, I'll, I'll, I won't, um, I'll discuss what is actually recorded in Day by Day. I exist is the only permanent self-evident experience of everyone. This is... Um, she asked, is this correct? Yes, this, that is certainly correct. There is nothing that is as self-evident as our own existence. It, it, it is our own existence, I am, is self-evident in the sense that nothing else is self-evident because I am is Swayam Prakasa. Swayam Prakasa means it is self-shining. It shines by its own light. So I am, the awareness I am, knows itself by itself. It doesn't depend upon anything else to be known. All other things that we know, they shine by the light of our mind. It's only in the view of our mind that they seem to exist. So though things in this world seem to us to be self-evident, just like everything that we experience in a dream seem to us to be self-evident, but anything that is known as another, is not actually self-evident. It's evident only by the light of the mind. And the mind, as we know, deceives us. In dream, we see a whole world full of people. It all seems very real, so long as we're dreaming. But when we wake up, we recognize it was all a mental fabrication. That world and those people didn't actually exist. All the events that happened in that dream had no... It existed only in our mind. They didn't actually exist. Um, and according to Bhagavan, our present state is just a dream. So the, what we experience now is no more real than what we experience in a dream. 
but the one thing that so we can doubt the the we can doubt everything that we experience but what we what we experience may not be as it seems to be but the one thing we cannot doubt is our own existence we may not be what we seem to be but we definitely exist and we are the only thing about which we can say um that it definitely but we i mean we can't say about anything else but it definitely exists all we can say about other things is they seem to exist because we perceive them but i exist is is the only thing that is certainly true because if if we didn't exist we couldn't be aware of our existence or we couldn't be aware of anything so the fact that we're aware of our existence proves that our existence is but we do actually exist this is why bhagavan says it's the only self evident experience of any one and then he goes on to say nothing else is so um so self evident but but then in brackets devraj mudliya put in brackets pratyaksha the literal meaning of pratyaksha is it's present before the eyes it's visible it's perceptible so it's often used in the sense of what is what is directly experienced and what is therefore definitely true so um the the one thing that is definitely true is i am so attraction doesn't actually mean self evident it but it uh, implies self evident the the word that is generally used in sanskrit for what is self evident is swayam prakasha swayam prakasha means self shining that is it shines by its own light um uh, and in the case of i am it shines by its own light and it's no it knows itself by its own light so it it's not nothing else is involved to know i am we don't depend on anything else whereas to know anything else we depend upon um the instruments of knowing the mind and senses and so on so um uh, uh as i say pratyaksha literally means present before the eyes but it by implication it therefore means what is clear distinct um or directly immediately known um so it's in it's not it's not entirely clear what words bhagavan may have been using in the, in the original tamil because um devraj mudli is using word salvebin uh, he also used the word pratyaksha but um the implication is is clear but this alone is what is uh, i am alone is what is self shining that's the way bhagavan would usually express it um and then he goes on to say or what is recorded is bhagavan went on to say what people call self evident um but i think the word he would use in this context is pratyaksha what people call pratyaksha um namely the experience they get through the senses is far from self evident the self alone is that pratyaksha is another name for the self um so to do so i don't think this is exactly how bhagavan would have uh, expressed it but it's more or less conveying the right idea but then he goes on so to do self analysis and be i am is the only thing to do this 
I don't know what term Bhagavan used for self-analysis, but I think this is a, a mistranslation. I think what he's talking about here is doing self-investigation, to investigate ourselves. And investigating ourselves is not analysis. Analysis is a is a is a mental process, whereas self-investigation is we, we are not analyzing. We are turning our attention within to see what we actually are. Um, so I think rather than self-analysis, it should be self-investigation or self-inquiry. And to be I am, that is by by investigating ourselves, by attending to ourselves, we as ego subside and thereby we remain as I am, as as we actually are, that is. Um, that's the only thing to do, Bhagavan says, yes. I am is the reality. I am this or that is unreal. I am is truth, another name for self. I am God is not true. Why does he say I am God is not true? Um, this, this may seem strange, but surely Bhagavan's an Advaitin, so surely Bhagavan says I am God. What, but what he means, what, is, what he's saying here is, Our true identity is only I am. We are nothing other than I am. That's why Bhagavan often used to use the term nan-nan or ahamaham, which means I am I, because we are nothing other than I. To say I am this or I am that is not true. That is, I cannot be anything other than itself. Um, so to, even to say I am God is not true in, in this sense, but uh, I, what is shining within us as I am is God. But if we make it into a sentence as I am God, I am Brahman, you've, you've got two things there. You've got an I and you've got Brahman. But the actual experience is only one. There is no God or no Brahman other than I am. But to think I am God is not true. Because it's, uh, uh, I am, as Bhagavan often said, I am this or that is ego. Uh, the truth is only the pure I am, without any adjunct, without any, um, uh, yes, without any adjunct, without any upadi. If we say I am God, that's making God into an upadi, into some identification. In order to know God, we don't need to know I am God. We, all we need to know is I am, because there's no God other than I am. Um so uh, Nyanika's question is, is this correct that the self alone is that? She means that the self alone is self-evident. Yes, it is self-evidently true, but but we are self for self-evident. There's nothing, there's nothing but we whatever else we know, we cannot know for sure. All we can know about other things is it seems to be so. Other things appear in our experience, but just because something appears or seems to be the case doesn't mean it's actually the case. The only thing that is certainly the case is our own existence. I am. Is 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 that explanation clear, or does anyone have any questions about this? I don't think she's here with us. Um, she is prolific, however. She I know she writes you and me a lot. <laughs> I have a quick question about this. It's yeah. just a very simple question. Isn't there a risk of? every Ramana Maharshi quote not being exact or precise, since they're all translations, to my awareness. Yes, they're all translations, but if, um, I mean, the most reliable source of Bhagavan's teachings <clears throat> are his own writings. 
And even with his own writing, there's a problem that they haven't been well translated. But if they are well translated, that is a reliable, a reliable source. Books like Talks and Day by Day, there's some useful ideas in them, but we can't take them to be the exact words of Bhagavan. But so they're one step removed, we can say, or one or two steps removed from what Bhagavan actually said. But when people just start quoting things off the top of their head or changing quotations, it's getting further and further away from what Bhagavan actually said. So if if people are if we're to be true to Bhagavan, we should try to represent his teachings as clearly as possible. If we're paraphrasing, we should say we're paraphrasing. If we are quoting something, we should say from where we're quoting it. Um, but there's so many things on the internet nowadays where people say, oh, Ramana Maharshi said this, Ramana Maharshi said that. Where, where is it recorded that he said that? Often if you investigate, that it's not recorded anywhere. And a lot of the things that people attribute to Bhagavan are actually misrepresenting him because they're not at all what he taught. They're not even in accordance with what he taught. Very good. Thank you. We do have a question on this topic. I think Robert's got it with his hand up yeah. there in the corner. Yeah. Uh, um, thanks, Michael. Um, you used the word uh, Swarana Prakasha. Is that right? Swayam Prakasha. Swayam means oneself. Swayam Prakasha means shining by one's own light. Self-shining. When I looked it up, the Sanskrit was dark-hued, dark blue Swayam. And then right, the Picasso was the shining, but they the my little thing said dark. I'm wondering, is there some sort of idea of shining out of the darkness? Or no. I'm just looking at Sanskrit got... here. Dark hued, deep bluish black. No, it's got swayam nothing means... to... Okay. Swayam, swayam means that is in it it's spelled S V A Y A M. Ah, thank you, thank you. S V A Y A M. Thank you. One other thing. One of the discussions we had uh, just recently, somebody said it's all energy. And I remember reading something that you wrote a while back, at least I was read it a while back. And you said, I don't like Spurana or this idea of we are, that, that eye shining. They use sometimes the term Spurana is used. Is it Spurana? Yes. Um, you said, no, we don't want anything like that vibration, throbbing. It means shining. Otherwise, there's this sense of otherness. Could you clarify, yeah. please? Yeah. Any, anything, anything that throbs or vibrates is a phenomenon. Right. So it, it's obviously not ourself. That, that is, the word, the word sporana, uh, it's a Sanskrit word. It comes from the word, uh, from the, it's a, a noun derived from the verb spore. Spore means to shine. So anything that makes itself known is a sporana. So, for example, the, the sporana of the heart is the beating of the heart. I mean, I'm talking about the sporana of the physical heart. Or no, if you, yeah, yeah anything that is flashing, that is a type of sporana. But that's obviously not what Bhagavan means when he uses the term sporana. He talks about aham sporana. When he talks about aham sporana, he's talking about the shiny of eye. And the sense in which he uses it, sporana also often means... It, it means making some anything that makes itself known is a sporana. Mm. So, so when we turn our attention within, 
the more we attend to ourselves, the more clearly we become aware of ourselves as just the pure I am. That, that, um, that, sh so, so that, that, that is what Bhagavan means by the Sparanaravai, the clarity, the fresh clarity of self-awareness that we experience to the extent to which we turn within. People who've translated it as vibration, palpitation, um, or anything like that, they've completely misunderstood what Bhagavan is talking about. We ourselves yes. can never... That only... That is vibration, palpitation sparklings um these are all these are all objective phenomena when when bhagavan uses the term shining he's using it it obviously it's in a metaphorical sense like the awareness is always shining that doesn't mean it's like a physical light it means it's always making itself known it knows it knows itself by its own light of awareness that is because this subject is extremely subtle and be and non-objective language words are inadequate tools for expressing it. So Bhagavan often talks metaphorically to point to that which is beyond language, because we can't in, we can't adequately express in like language is a tool we have developed to, for talking about experience, talking about phenomena, but we can't. Language fails when we try to talk about that which is the reality underlying the experiencer of all phenomena, which is the subject of interest, because that is what we actually are. You spell that word spirana once again, not spirana, but the word, the first word of the two words. Swayam Prakasa, S V A Y A M. Thank you. Thank you. Swayam basically means self, oneself, yourself, myself, itself. It depends on the context. Thank you. Swayam is also often used as an adverb in the sense of spontaneously. If something shines spontaneously, you know, you, uh, it, it's, but in the case of Swayam Prakasa, it means it's shining by its own light. It is self-shining. Thank you. Michael, thank you also for admonishing us about the phrase, I am God. I was taught by Sai Baba a very long time ago, simply to repeat, I am God, I am God, I am no different from God. Your clarification seems logical to me. And along the path, I've come to the point, <laughs> my wife first went through the book called A Course in Miracles, where there must be a thousand references to God. Mm. She crossed out each and every one of them and replaced it with the word love. The word God is toxic by Western or global standards because of the way it's, not the way it's used, but the way it's misused by many people, I would suggest. Oh, God. What has he done wrong? <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, yes, people, but what is toxic is not God himself, but people's idea of God. Any idea of God is wrong. Because God is that which transcends the mind. It is the reality that underlies the mind. There's no such thing as God other than I am. That is the ultimate reality of God. God is, uh, is what is shining in us as I am. Once we know that, 
we should what that is in the Upanishads it said Tatvamasi you are that Aham Brahmasmi I am Brahman um, uh, I am Atma Brahman this very self is Brahman uh, Prakas uh, um, um, Pragnanam Brahman uh, uh, awareness is Brahman. What are all these points? What, what's the aim of all these Mahavakyas? Till now, we've been looking for God or Brahman or whatever it is we're looking for happiness, knowledge. We're looking for it outside ourselves. But the purpose of the Mahavakyas is to turn our attention back to ourselves. That Brahman that you are looking for outside, that God you are looking for outside, you yourself are that. If we understand this correctly, we should stop looking for God outside ourselves. We should turn our attention back within. Because if I am God, then I can leave the word God aside and hold on to I am, because I am is what we know directly. So long as we take, so long as we use the word God, God seems to be something other than ourselves. But God is, can never be something other than ourselves. If God is something other than ourselves, then we're reducing him to an object. Whereas he is the reality underlying the subject. Objects depend upon for their existence upon the subject in whose view they seem to exist. So God cannot be an object. He cannot be something other than ourselves. He can only be the reality underlying ourselves. So to find God, we have to look within. As Jesus said, they will say, look here, look there. But I say, look, see, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, he's saying, stop looking outside. Look within. Thank you for that clarification. Marty's got a question for you. Hi, Michael. Thank you Hi. for being here today. This... Um... <clears throat> I, I've been thinking along something similar to what you've been talking about, and I wanted to see if this is a correct perception. Is when I think of me being God, I know I know there's phrases that I've read years ago, like "I am one with God," and any of these concepts have to do with life in the body, and that if I were to look at this like Ramana's uh, description of life being a movie on a screen, the characters on the screen are never aware of the screen. There are no characters. They don't exist to begin with. Yeah. And so that's, uh, to me, that would be comparable to not acknowledging the body as even existing as yeah. the self doesn't acknowledge the body. And, and even, you know, being aware that the body is producing these words and all that stuff. It's it's still a sense of any description we're trying to do is being tied to life in the body to begin with. And the sidebar to this question is, is I don't know that I even asked a question there, but the sidebar would be uh, this self-evident awareness of who I am plays into this movie screen description because it's like any concept I have of my existence comes from ego. It doesn't come from outside this body. It comes from ego. Yes. And, and so how can it be self-evident 
it may be self-evident to the self, but the self isn't aware of anything other than the self. So that question doesn't apply. And to me, it's more of a pointer saying you're tied up in the body again. So I don't know if I need clarification yeah. in what I'm thinking or yes. what I'm doing. Okay, Bhagavan distinguished ego from our what we actually are. What we actually are is the pure I am, pure existence, pure awareness. Ego is that same pure I am mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So ego is that which is aware of itself as I am Marty. But within that ego is the reality, I am. So we need to set the whole aim of this of self-investigation is to separate ourselves from what we identify with by holding on to what we actually are. So I am, I am means I exist. Our, our existence is self-evident. We, we, we don't need, we, it's not a concept. We don't need to form a concept. As soon as we form a concept of I am, then it's something other than what we actually are because concepts appear and disappear. But what the word I am refers to is to our existence, which is self-evident. The one thing we cannot, we, you can reasonably doubt. But who is it, it self-evident to? It's self-evident to you. To me is Marty. No, no, that is where you go wrong. You are not Marty. Exactly. You are that's that, my which, point. that that is we we need to stop thinking in terms of two two eyes, the, the real I am and this um Marty I am. There's only one eye. When that I is mixed and conflated with Marty, as I am Marty, that is ego. Our aim is. But even when you're aware of yourself as I am, Marty, you don't cease to be aware I am. So whether you're aware of, in waking and dream, you're aware of yourself as I am, Marty. In sleep, you're not aware of yourself as I am, Marty, but you don't cease to be aware I am. So I am is something distinct from Marty. Marty is just an appearance, something that, an identity that comes and goes. But I am is the fundamental reality that remains whatever may appear or disappear. Did you say I am I and I am Marty is ego? No. Do you see what I'm getting at? I I am Marty you know, do you, is ego. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I don't see what you're saying. I am okay. I is not because ego. it is it's the dualism There's element no... of ego. The dualistic attitude of ego is because it has the uh, it has the real self, but at the same time, the ego is touching onto the jada aspect, grabbing it and identifying with it and therefore it, it that's that is the error of ego yes but you said i am i right I, but I, the I, I am i is the swayam prakasa chit element yes yes exactly exactly that, that yeah sorry i thought you were saying sorry. i i sorry am yeah I yeah no i was just trying to phrase it in a slightly different way just to so that that you know it's 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 tricky with the ego it's always dualism 
e ego is the root of all duality. Only when we rise as ego, we, we project and take ourselves to be a body, and consequently we're aware of other things. Then what is the basic duality is subject-object. And this duality comes into existence only when we rise as ego. Whenever we rise as ego, we always are aware of ourselves as a subject and other things as objects. But we, though we are the subject, as ego, we always identify ourselves with a particular set of objects, namely this person we take ourselves to be. And that's the big mistake, is just taking ourselves to be real. Taking our body, the yeah. body person, to be real. That's the yeah, mistake. Yeah. Well, well taking, this, taking it to be I is taking it to be real, because what is actually real is only I. So, so long as we are aware of this body, as ourself, as I, this body inevitably seems to us to be real because I is real. So what we need to do is to separate ourselves, to separate I from everything with which it is now identified. The I without any identification, the pure I, is what is real. And that is what is self-shining, self-evident. So doesn't it come down to a case of which word you'll use, which words? I could say, I am an American named Ted. I am Ted. And I can also say in the same breath, I am I. And and it's there's only one I am. Yes, but, but there's, there's a difference the between those, those two statements are uh, fundamentally different statements. Because when you say, I am an American called Ted, you're identifying yourself with an object. Yes, yes, yes. Whereas when you say I am I, you're identifying yourself with yourself. But I do think that's I, the rule. Identity of... means sameness. So we can only be identical with ourselves. We cannot be identical with anything other than ourselves. So our true identity, I am, is our existence. I am I is our true identity. That is, we are nothing other than our existence. So when somebody asks you, who are you? And I say, I am Ted from Coronado, or I could say, I am I. Wouldn't that be just pure chaos? I mean, it's, it's again, no, these- if, if you say I am I, that that's, when you're communicating with someone else, there you've got already got two there. Yeah. You've got yourself and that other person. You, so long as we're looking outwards, we have a person we seem to be for all practical purposes. So there are some sadhus who, uh, who will not refer to themselves as I, they'll only refer to themselves as this. But that's, mm. just, a, that's just a show. In the normal, we all understand what we mean by I and you and everything. It's, it's, a, it's convention of language. So when we, when we are communicating with others, if someone asks you who you are, yes, you're Ted. Um, I mean, that, that, that's the... For outward purposes, that is our identity. But what we are doing is inwardly questioning, am I actually Ted? Am I actually Michael? Am I actually Marty? Yeah. Doesn't so, the difficulty exist in finitely trying to express the infinite? Yes, definitely. The language is always inadequate. That is why Bhagavan said, the true teaching is silence. 
Why then, if true teaching is silence, why did Bhagavan give us teachings in words? Because the word, Bhagavan's words are all pointing our attention back within. And only when we look deep within ourselves will we find the silence that Bhagavan is talking about. The silence of our own being. So language will always be inadequate. It, 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 we cannot... Language is a tool just for talking about um, about objective experiences. So we're identifying the convention as the real, and that is ego. That's the mistake. Well, no, the mistake is the identification. The convention comes after right. that. That is ego comes well, okay. first, okay. and then convention. Okay. So okay. we can't <laughs> we can't blame convention. Okay, right, right. You, that's right. Like some people say, absolutely, yeah. We we we've been um we've been conditioned to think of ourselves as a person. No, <laughs> right, exactly. We we, right. we 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 haven't been conditioned to think of ourselves as a person. We may be conditioned in so many ways, but we're conditioned because we take ourselves to be a person. But first, or, or we're bathing ourselves in conditioning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our own conditioning of, yeah. of ego. <laughs> yeah, but the first, the first mistake we make is rising as ego and consequently taking ourselves to be a person. And if I'm a, if I'm this person, then this person was born in such and such country, so I'm such and such. I'm, I'm English. I'm French. I'm German. I'm Indian. I'm Chinese. I'm uh, African. I'm Kenyan. I'm uh, uh, Brazilian. And this or that, all these identifications come because we identify with the body. I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Jain, I'm a, a Confucianist, I'm a Taoist. All this is identification. It all root, comes back to this root identification. I am this body. It was back in 1989, Michael, when I first learned one of the most valuable lessons from the book, A Course in Miracles, attempting to bring non-duality. West, and it was, you begin this course first by forgetting everything you have ever learned. And I laughed at that, of course, because I thought it was stupid until I no longer thought it was stupid. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because the yes, beginning yes. goes on for, what, 78 years in my case, and yes. it's, it's hard to get beyond the words taught. Yeah. Let's go to question number two now. You ready? Bhagavan used to sometimes say, in this path, it's not a matter of learning, it's a matter of unlearning. Exactly. <laughs> and I still work at that with fair yeah. success only. Yeah. Um, but if so, we want to put an end, if we want to unlearn everything, the root of all of all that we have learned is this first thing, is this ego that rises as I am this body. So if we if we manage to unravel that knot, everything is unraveled. Great, great. You ready for number two question? Yes, yes. And Stuart's here, so we, I'm glad he's going to be able to hear your answer to it. He writes from, he says, Michael, from Ruladu Narpadu, verse 20, 31, what is the meaning and significance of the word Tanmaya Ananda? Can the state referred to here be known however briefly, by those who have not turned 180 degrees towards oneself, that is, by those whose egos remain apparent as real. 
Right. Okay. I'll first explain the meaning of the term. Um, it, it's a compound word. It, it is, uh, the, the first word is tat. Tat means that. Um, it, 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 by convention, tat refers to Brahman. Uh, the suffix maya, uh, not to be confused with the word maya, um, this is a short M, a short M, that is the, uh, Ma is short and Ya is short. So that is a suffix that means composed of. So Tanmaya means composed of Tat, composed of Brahman. And Ananda means happiness. So happiness, so the meaning of Tanmaya Ananda is happiness composed of that. In other words, the happiness that is Brahman itself. In verse 31 of Uladunapadu, the word Bhagavan actually uses is, um, wait a second, it is, that is Tamayananda is a Sanskrit word, but Bhagavan makes it into a personal noun by adding an R on the end. The R of, of the, usually, if you want to turn a, um, a neuter noun into a personal noun. For example, Arunachalam is a, is a neuter name of Arunachala. If you want to make it into a personal name, it's Arunachalan. So Bhagavan in Tamil is referred Bhagavan's name in Tamil is Ramanan. So that N is the is the is the personal ending. If you end it with R, that is an honorific plural. So Tanmayananda means those who are Tanmayananda. Um, and he says, for those who are Tanmayananda. So um, the, the implication is that when we, when, we, when we know ourselves as we actually are, we remain as that happiness which is, the, which is composed of Brahman. So we are that. So Tanmayananda means those who are Tanmayananda. Um, but as I said, though it's plural, it's an honorific plural. So we shouldn't take it as lit a literal plural. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honorific plural. So he said, the, the term he uses is Tanmayananda Ku. That means uh, for those who are Tanmayananda. And then he said that Tanmayananda, he, he begins the verse, Tanay Aritu Erunda Tanmayananda Ku, which means for those who are Tanmayananda, which rose destroying oneself. That is, when that Tamayananda rises, when it shines forth, it will destroy ourself. That means it will destroy ego. Um, so for those who are Tamayananda, which rose um, destroying one's, uh, themselves, uh, what one uh, thing exists for doing? In other words, there's nothing to, when, when, they, when you're in that state, you, there's nothing for you to do. You just have to be, I mean, that state is a state of being, so it's, it's beyond all doing. And then he goes on to say, Tane aladu anium ondru ariya. They do not know anything other than themselves. So though he said they, we should we should it, again we have to understand this is a singular they, it's not a plural they. It's just used in an honorific sense. So um what he's saying here is that the jnani 
doesn't know anything other than itself because we can't even say a vinyani himself herself it's because they it's uh, himself and herself refers to the body but yet as bhagavan often used to say jnana me jnani jnana alone is vinyani so this is talking about vinyani who is jnana itself that's why he he says those who are tamayananda it's not that they're experiencing that uh happiness that is composed of brahman they are that happiness that happiness is what they actually are. So he said, they do not know anything other than themselves. Uh, um, well, therefore isn't there, but implied. Therefore, who can understand their, who can, who can know or understand their state as it is such? So what Bhagavan is saying here is that for Vinyani, there's no, Vinyani doesn't do anything. Because all action is for body, speech, and mind. But Vinyani is completely separated from body, speech, and mind. So for Vinyani, there's no doing. Vinyani isn't doing anything. Vinyani also isn't knowing anything other than itself. So how can, how can we, who, who, who know other things, know the understand or adequately grasp the state of one in whose view there is nothing other than themselves. Is that a clear explanation of the verse, um, Stuart? Then I'll answer the other part of your question. I think this must be uh, an issue of duality because in this group there are two Stuarts, and uh, uh, this one talking is not the one who asked the oh. question. So. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that, that's fine. That's fine then. Um, then uh, he, Stuart went on to ask, can the state referred to here be known, however briefly, by those who have not turned 180 degrees towards oneself? That is, by, whose, um, by those whose ego remains apparent as real. That is, this state, this Tammayananda, is what shines in all of us as I am. But so long as we rise as ego, though we always know I am, we, we know ourselves as I am this person, I am this body. So though we don't cease to be, we never cease to be aware I am, we, 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 the real nature of I am is obscured by this false identification. In other words, we know that I am, we don't know what I am. So, so long as we rise as ego, we cannot know ourselves as we actually are. Because as soon as we know ourselves as we actually are, we thereby cease to be ego. In other words, ego is a false awareness of ourself. As soon as we become aware of ourselves as we actually are, we cease to be ego. If you look at the uh, snake carefully enough, you see it's a rope. As soon as you see it's a rope, the, the, the snake is obliterated. There's no snake there at all. You, in fact, not only did the snake cease to exist, you clearly see there never was a snake there. Likewise with knowing ourselves. When we know ourselves as we actually are, not only will ego cease to exist, we will know clearly there never was such a thing as ego. Because what we actually are is eternal and immutable. So there's no such thing as rising as ego. So, ego 
we talk about ego only from the perspective of ourselves as ego. But if we follow what Bhagavan teaches us, but to look within, we will see that there's actually no such thing as ego at all. When we see ourselves as we actually are, when we experience ourselves as Tamayananda, we will um we 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 can never again mistake ourselves to be uh, anything else. Just like if you so long as you haven't recognized the rope as a rope, it seems to you to be a snake. But as soon as you recognize that it's a rope, you can never again mistake it to be a snake because you've clearly seen what it actually is. Exactly the same with this. When we when we know ourselves as we actually are, um we we um that is the the end of ego. So there's no as ego, we can never know ourselves as we actually are. But though we can never know ourselves as we actually are, as ego, as ego, we need to try to know ourselves as we actually are. Because as soon as we know ourselves as we actually are, we will thereby cease to be ego and remain as we always actually are. So if you even for a split second experience yourself as you actually are, that is the end of ego. So, um, you, 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 because if if it were a state that could be known by ego, it would be an object known by ego. But ego, obviously, that state cannot be. It's the reality of ego. It can't be an object known by ego. When ego knows its own reality, it ceases to be ego and remains as its reality. Is that a clear answer to that question? I know Stuart isn't here, but for everyone else, is it clear? Sure. Uh -uh. Anybody else have a comment or a question about that thought? All right. Go on to the next one, Michael. Which is also somewhat related with the latter part of um, Stuart's question. Right. Uh, this is from, this is question number three from Georgie, and she's not here today either he, i don't believe he, he he bhagavan's teachings speak about the destruction of the ego maranasa my two questions about that are the following why do we have to destroy something which does not exist in the first place if we are chasing imaginary enemies we are like don quixote the fictional spanish knight who attacks windmills mistaking them to be warriors with long arms and very tall would it be more accurate to speak about the destruction, about the destruction of the belief that we are a body-mind complex, the Hatma Bodhi? I guess that's what that means. Yeah. Um, ego doesn't actually exist, but though ego doesn't actually exist, it seems to exist. That is, we who are having this conversation are ego. It is as ego, but we. So long as we're aware of anything other than ourselves, we who are aware of those other things are ego. So though the ultimate truth is that ego doesn't actually exist at all, it now seems to exist. It seems to us to be very real. So though ego doesn't actually exist, because it seems to exist, we need to investigate it to find out what it actually is. When we investigate ourselves keenly enough, we thereby experience ourselves as we actually are. That is what is called the destruction of ego. But as I said, when ego is destroyed, it's not like 
there was an ego in the past and now it's been destroyed. Ego is destroyed by our seeing, but it never existed in the first place. So how do we see that ego never existed in the first place? Only by seeing ourselves as we always actually are. In other words, by seeing ourselves as Tammayananda. Um, so um, if someone asks this question, why do we have to destroy something that doesn't exist? No, you don't have to destroy ego if you if you're ha if you're happy with your present condition. You don't have to destroy anything. But the fact is, none of us are happy with our present condition. We are all dissatisfaction is the very nature of ego. So we are all dissatisfied. The mistake we all generally make is because we are dissatisfied. We think something is lacking in ourselves. It seems to us. So we are always trying to. Uh, achieve satisfaction or happiness from things other than ourselves. So long as we seek satisfaction in anything other than ourselves, we are going to be disappointed because nothing other than ourselves can satisfy us. So um, nobody is compelling anyone to destroy ego. If if you want to, if you want to continue living this ego life, um, chasing imaginary. Um, uh, um, parcels in the sky or whatever, uh, that's fine. Regarding the analogy uh, George G used of, of chasing imaginary enemies, we this is what we're all doing. As ego, we are constantly, we are, we are seeking, we're chasing after mirages. Or if I have a, if I have a, a bigger car, if I have a bigger house, if I have a better car, if I have a more beautiful wife, if I have this, if I have more money, if I have more name and fame, if I have this, if I have that, I'll be happy. We are all seeking happiness in things other than ourselves. This is this is the state of Don Quixote. We we are we are we are we are in a world of Don Quixote lived in a world of his own imagination. We are all living in such a world. We may not be jousting with windmills, but we are we are jousting with this world, seeking happiness in in that in which no happiness can ever be found. We're like the 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 dog chewing on the dry bone, thinking we can get some nice tasty blood from the bone. But whatever blood is there on the bone, the bone is completely dry. It's not got a it's got not got an atom of blood remaining in it. But because the dog is chewing on the bone. The, the bone is an old dry bone, so it splinters. It causes so many wounds in the dog's mouth. So the dog's own blood it sees on the bone and thinks, oh, this, nothing on earth equals this bone. We are like that. We are, the happiness that exists within us, we are seeking outside ourselves. So what Bhagavan uh, advises us to do is to turn within to know what we actually are, because what we actually are alone is infinite satisfaction, infinite happiness. And in the course of, in order to know what we actually are, we must be willing to give up this false identification, which is called ego. That is, as ego, we always identify ourselves as something other than what we actually are. So when we know ourselves as we actually are, ego is thereby destroyed. So why do we want to destroy ego? Doesn't actually exist, but because it seems to exist, it causes us all this trouble. Who is the one who is dissatisfied? Who is the one who is unhappy? 
who is the one who who is never getting what they never getting the satisfaction they're seeking who is suffering in so many ways it is only ego but if we investigate the reality of ego and know what we actually are we will thereby um um we we would thereby see ourselves as we actually are that is when seeing ourselves as we actually are is the destruction of ego so that's the answer to the first question the second question would it not be more accurate to speak about the destruction of the belief that we are a body mind complex ego is not just a belief ego is that which believes in fact more than believe it's actually our experience is not just a belief i actually experience myself as this body and mind this is my actual experience that is the nature of ego so merely uh getting rid of a belief is not what we are trying to do it's the ego is far more than a belief ego is is that way everything that is believed is believed only by ourselves as ego but as ego we actually experience ourselves as this body mind it, it's not a it's not a a real experience it's a false experience and it's, it's an illusory experience but i actually experience myself i am this body i am sitting here i am talking i am thinking what shall i say next so on and so forth so this is my actual experience i'm wholly identified with this body and mind that is the nature of ego so it's far more than a belief but they have my body they have means body atma means oneself uh buddhi means in buddhi has a range of meanings in this context it means the the concept of the more accurately the experience that the body is oneself so dehatma buddhi is this false awareness this false experience i am this body and that is far more than a belief so that is what needs to be destroyed if we if we just trying to destroy some belief that we may have we remain there the one who has that belief remains we are trying to, we're not trying to just remove false beliefs of course we need to remove all our false beliefs but, but we can get rid of all false beliefs only by getting rid of the believer the believer is ego so i hope that adequately answers that question of george g I think he's not here today but um I hope that's an adequate answer to his question. Follow up question on this or a comment mm. to make. Ego is the theme of all these questions that you've chosen for today and and I guess my question would be how in the world can I ever think of winning the battle against ego when here I live in an apartment and occasionally not very often thank god. <laughs> uh somebody will rap on my door trying to sell me something now they're sales people they're professional sales people it still happens um where i live i'm not quite sure why the more i'm engaged the more i try to get away the more i try to send him on his way the more into ego i devolve with uh frustration agitation and even anger these are married points i am and and my thinking that uh, not my voluntary thinking that i am the illusory i am the phenomenal mind body ted uh, i don't know how to adequately go about separating them and having one fall away the ego so long as we're looking out experiencing anything other than ourselves 
we who are experiencing that other thing, our ego. So yes, we, 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 not every day. we cannot we cannot separate ourselves from ego by attending to anything other than ourselves. But if instead of attending to anything other than yourself, if you try to attend to yourself alone, that is, if you instead of if you try to attend just to I am, not to anything else, then this identification will drop off because it's not it's not Ted who is holding on to you. It is you who are holding on to Ted, saying I am Ted. Not just saying you're experiencing yourself as I am Ted. So the problem is you. We as ego have a problem because as ego, we always identify ourselves with something, with some person. And through that person, we experience this world. And so we have all sorts of problems. We have uh, salesmen coming to the door. We have diseases coming and um, uh, uh, impacting our body. We have um, financial difficulties. We have this is, uh, personal uh, relationship difficulties. So many difficulties we experience all because we identify ourselves with a person. So, so long as we are looking outwards, we are feeding and nourishing this false identification. In order to sever this false identification, we need to let go of everything else and hold on to ourselves. To the extent to which we hold on to ourselves, the false identification will drop off. So we need to hold on to ourselves ever more firmly. Then what does it matter who comes knocking on your door? What does it matter whatever happens? So long as we're holding on to our being, we will not be affected by these things. If we're affected, that means we've allowed our mind to go outwards again. I need to hear that about five times a day. Thank you, Michael. Well, we, that, that is why, that is why, it is said, Sravana Manana Nidityasana. We need to be constantly uh, reading, I mean, reading the teaching, but not just superficially reading, reading deeply. And at the same time, doing manana, thinking deeply about it, making sense of it, and reminding ourselves of it. Because only then will we be encouraged to constantly turn our attention back to ourselves to try to hold on to our own being. So repetition is very, very necessary in this path. It's only by yeah. repeated practice, but we can slowly, slowly le let go of our hold on other things and um, and uh, gain a strong hold on our own being. I think that's why many of us show up every every week for a discussion like this because of the repetition involved. That's <clears throat> why I'm here, because by repeating this, I'm reminding myself to... to, to I mean, it's 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 a process of constantly reminding ourselves of the need to turn within and hold on to our own being. That's what Bhagavan's teachings are all about. Well, let's take one more question. Can, can I just say one more thing about that? That is, Bhagavan has put all these things so beautifully in verses. In verse twenty-five, Bhagavan talks about the nature of ego. He says, ego is a formless demon or phantom. It's formless because it's got no form of its own. And it's a phantom because it's got no substance of its own. So it doesn't actually exist. But it seems to exist by grasping a form. So he says, grasping form, it comes into existence. 
Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, it grasps form. If sought, it takes flight. So what does he mean by this? When he says grasping form, it comes into existence. What is the first form we grasp? The first form we grasp is the form of a body, which we take to be ourselves. And the form of a body doesn't mean just the physical body, as Bhagavan clarified elsewhere in Ulidunapta in verse 5. The body is a form composed of five sheaves. So he's, when he talks about body, he's talking about all the five sheaves. So we, 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 as soon as we rise as ego, simultaneously with our rise, we project and grasp a body as ourself. And we cannot stand for a moment without holding on to this identification. So he said, grasping form, it stands. That means it endures. Then he goes on to say, grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. What does he mean by feeding? This is what I was saying just now. That is, by attending to anything other than ourselves, that is grasping form, we are nourishing and sustaining this, um, this ego. That is, ego depends for its food upon constantly grasping things other than itself. So attending to anything other than ourself is the, is the food on which ego lives. And since ego cannot stand for a moment without grasping form, if it leaves one form, it will grasp another form. So he said, leaving form, it grasps form. But then he says, teidinal otompidikum. Teidinal is... Um, a conditional form of the verb, it's generally translated as if sought. But in English, if sought, sought is, uh, would be a passive, um, a, a, a passive voice. But actually, it is middle voice. It is neither active nor passive. So it is, um, it, but it, it's, it's, it's a bit similar to the pass, passive voice in English. But when the, the, the most accurate way of translating it would be if seeking, because there's neither, it, it doesn't specify who is to seek or what is to be sought, but the implication is if ego seeks itself, in other words, if ego seeks its own reality, autumpidicum, autumpidicum means, uh, uh, autumn means uh, running, pidicum means grasping, so it, it, it resorts to running. In other words, it takes flight, it runs away, it disappears, because we ego seems to exist, we, we, or we seem to be ego, only so long as we're attending to things other than ourself. If we turn our attention back towards ourself, to see what we ourself actually are, this, the, 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 this identification, the things that we are grasping drop off, and ego thereby subsides. Because ego can rise and stand only by grasping other things. If it tries to grasp itself, it thereby subsides. And eventually, if we hold on to ourselves firmly enough, we will subside and dissolve completely back into our source. That's what he means by saying, if sought, it takes flight. So, as George G. said, if ego is non-existent, yes, ego is non-existent, but it seems to exist. How can we get rid of this semi-existence? only by investigating ourselves. If we look at ego very carefully, we will see there's no such thing as ego, because what seems to be ego is only the pure awareness I am. 
Just like if you if you want to if if you see a snake and mistake it to be a rope, you cannot kill that snake by by beating it with a stick. However much you however hard you beat the snake with a stick, the snake isn't going to die. The only way to kill that snake is to look at it very carefully. If you look at it very carefully, what do you see? Oh, it's not a snake, it's just a rope. So you thereby got rid of the snake. So likewise, the only way to kill this ego is to look at it very carefully. Because there is no such thing, because what seems to be ego is actually just a pure awareness that we actually are. So it's only by seeing ourselves as we actually are that we can free ourselves from this false identification called ego. Is, is, that, is that clear? Yes. Uh, we have two follow-up questions here. Okay. Uh, dovetail into general questions. Uh, there was one more I thought I'd get try to get mm. to here. Maybe we'll do it at the end if we have time. Right. Uh, Hans Nielsen from Mount Shasta is first up with his hand. Uh, I'm thinking when I'm sitting uh, in, the, in the sofa and um, doing self-attention, and there is a feeling that it's done by some intensity for a very short while. And there is a wholeness of that beingness for a certain time, then comes in other thoughts, but still the beingness is there. And it's, it's very simple. I almost do nothing. And it's very rewarding sometimes. I call it Ramana presence. And now I found uh, when I was going into internet and looking for Sadhu Om, and he's writing something uh, that uh, I opened my eyes because it was some kind of, of descriptions of what I experienced. And um, it's taken from the essence of sadhana by Sadhu Om. Uh, after sitting down for practicing self-attention, turning the attentive power on our existence consciousness, it is enough to make it stay there only for one to two minutes. Then, when it, the attentive power, slips away from self-attention, after staying for a while, after relaxing the effort, we can just be without doing anything, either with or without closing the eyes. <clears throat> Once again, after one minute, again we can give a turn to the attentive power on self-attention. Now the mind will engage itself for one, two minutes in self-attention with a bit of enthusiasm. So he recommends to do this in intervals. So, Michael, could you make a, a comment on this? Yes, Saddam often used to say intermittent attempts are more effective than uh, trying to keep up the pressure. He, he gave an analogy. If you have a pressure scale, supposing that you've got a pressure scale, you have to press your thumb on it. If you press your thumb hard, 
it will, the, the, the indicator will go up. So it shows you're pressing hard. But if you try to keep up that pressure, you won't be able to sustain that pressure. Slowly, slowly, it'll start coming down. If instead you relax for a moment, and then with a fresh press, it'll go up high again. So the intermittent attempts are often more effective than trying to persist, trying to, trying to hold on for a long time. But we, this is this is a very good piece of advice. But we also need to understand that is. Our aim is to be self-attentive as much as possible. So much of our of our day-to-day life, we're engaged in our activities. Even while engaged in our activities, we should at least try to hold on to a, what Sarwam used to describe, and Bhagavan also used to describe, it, a tenuous current of self-attentiveness. That is, we need to at least have we that remembrance. What Bhagavan refers to as Swarupa Smarana, that self-remembrance need to be there in the background, so to speak, whatever else we may be doing. So we shouldn't completely let go of ourselves at any time. But when we're trying to go deeper within, then the intermittent attempts will be more effective. That is the point Sadhuan was making there. Is that clear to you? Very much. Thank you yes. so much, yes. Michael. Yes, yes, yes. clear. Yes. And thank you also, Hans. And before we get to Robert for the last question that seems to be here related to the topic we're speaking of, uh, an advisory to all of you to put your thinking caps on to come up with a question of your own on this topic or completely unrelated to this topic as we go through the last 40 minutes this morning, this morning, America time. So, um, Robert, what's on your mind about what he's been talking about? Mike, yes, thank you very much, Ted. Michael, you used the term second person. When I was studying uh, Greek, when I was going to seminary, I had a breakthrough of more than just understanding the middle voice. Uh, was, and let me give you an example. I, I finally got it. When I say I give advice, I'm being a, that's an active voice. Mm. When I receive advice, that's passive voice. But mm. when somebody gives advice and I reach out and take it, that's middle voice. That's, sorry, middle voice. And I use that as an example of how to live the faithful life of a Christian, to always be available to the, the receptive part of receiving the grace of God. Yes. Were you hitting at something like that with, with what your statements well, about? Well, well um, no, that is, uh, I give advice that is active. Yeah. Um, advice is given by me that is passive. Right. Or advice is given is passive. So we often use the we, the we can use the passive voice in English without identifying the uh, subject. Yeah. Um, uh, the the book has been stolen. We can say we're not. We don't know who has stolen it, but it's been stolen. It's no longer here. Um, so it's, we we often use the passive voice when we either don't know the subject or we don't want to identify this, the agent, the, the doer of the action. We use the passive voice. A limited number of ver- of, of verbs in English can also be used in the pa- in the middle voice. For example, um, she is cooking the meal. We can say that is active voice. 
the meal is being cooked by her is the um is the passive voice with the agent identified the meal is being cooked is is a passive voice without the agent being identified but we can also say in english the meal is cooking yes the meal is cooking is middle voice because yeah. it it the meal is not the agent it is what is being cooked but it it's it's the middle voice means it's between the active and the passive but we right. can do that only with a certain uh, verbs in english not all verbs uh, allow for the middle voice in english whereas in tamil i think any verb can be used in middle voice which is a very useful facility for, for example often when bhagavan is talking about himself as a person he will talk about he would talk about something that happened without using the word i but it's uh. it's it's very easy to do that in tamil but it's it's very much more difficult to do it in english so for example bhagavan's death experience when we read about it as recorded in english books bhagavan it, it's written but bhagavan says um that is uh the fear of death came uh, i thought uh, or um i thought who 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 to whom is this fear it, it's described with i a lot but in actually when he said it in tamil he said it with hardly using he only used the word i when he was talking about what remains shining at the end i alone remain shining so so your yeah. your point your point about the the middle voice was what again just help me well in, in home. in i the reason i mentioned it in the in the context of that verse is um in in that verse there's it, what it is just a single verb tadinal but all at the end is a, a suffix that means a conditional so it means if but there's the, the verb is used without either a subject or an object what is seeking what it doesn't say so simply it's seeking um but in order to put that in english we say if sought but then that means if ego is sought it does that is the intention that is what is meant there is but if ego seeks itself but it's not actually specified what is to seek what it's it's just it's in tamil things are possible to express I, things let me in interrupt very... for a second let, let me interrupt for a second. i think this response to marty's question who is who's looking for who and, and if you understand the middle voice that question is answered because I... if you live if you live in the sense in the middle voice there is no subject or, or object or it's 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 it, it's it's suspended if you will yeah it's suspended but but in this yeah. case who is to investigate ego yeah. only ego can investigate ego so it's the the intention of tadinal is that if ego seeks itself or rather to put it more more um more accurately if ego seeks its own reality it will disappear it will take flight but reason i mentioned it's the middle voice is to show the difficulty of translating it adequately in english mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i said it's middle voice just to emphasize the fact but bhagwan doesn't actually say what is to seek what but we have to understand but if ego is to seek itself 
It's not, it's not one eye seeking another eye, as Bhagavan often used to say. Thank you. Okay. It's we ourselves are to seek ourselves, to investigate ourselves, to see what we actually are. Very good, Michael. I think we'll move on to questions in, a, in different fields. While we're waiting, I might call on a person or two. Rathi from Los Angeles. You've been on this path for decades. Uh, want to comment and chime in at all? And you may not be on with us right now. I just see your name. Okay. Oh, shall we shall we go on with the question? But we've been okay. Yeah, I, I think so. Unless yeah, somebody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ted, can I? Yes. Sure. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Um, I know this could be a repetition for you. I'm sorry, maybe if I missed or whatever. So, um, when we have one question is when we have turbulence. Is this is it possible to do self inquiry? And I understand at that you know the more we are with our being, that helps. And you are talking about going inward and self inquiry. So, at, at is it like coming? If self inquiry is not the thing that works at that time, is it something like understanding that I'm not the ego, like? that helps the remembrance of it helps or yes, yes. how to get back in the being like easily uh, without is, it running outward that is however turbulent your mind may be do you ever cease to exist no who is turbulent i am turbulent who is experiencing turbulence i am so hold you let the turbulence be. We're not concerned about the turbulence. That is the nature of the mind. Sometimes it's it's a little bit calmer. Sometimes it's a little bit more turbulent. Let's uh, let's not be concerned about the mind. What is constant is our own being. I am. So let us try to hold on to the I am, and let let the turbulence take care of itself. If you hold on to I am, the turbulence will automatically subside. So, so holding on the way is basically. Um, realizing that it's not the real me, this is mine, this is ego, is that what holding on is, or is there any other Well, way? no, holding on means we, 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 we need to attend to our own being. To the extent to which we attend to our own being, our attention is thereby withdrawn from everything else. So whatever is agitating the mind, or making the mind turbulent, um, we are withdrawing our attention from that, and therefore the turbulence will automatically subside. Okay. So the, the, the whole aim in self-investigation is attending to ourself. Self-investigation is nothing but attending to ourself. So it doesn't matter whatever appears, whether it's, whether it's a turbulent state of mind or a calm, peaceful state of mind, whether a miserable state of mind or a happy state of mind, doesn't matter. To whom did this state of mind appear to me who am i we turn our attention back to ourselves that doesn't mean we have to question to whom we have to investigate to whom in other words we have to turn our attention away from whatever may appear back towards ourselves the one to whom it appears and this method is it possible at all times when when you're anxious or something or it, it is possible at all times yes but thing is most of the time, we don't want to attend to ourselves. When we're anxious, we're more interested in 
thinking about what we're anxious about than in attending to ourselves. But if we want to be free of that anxiety, the only way to be free of the anxiety is to hold on to I am. Because whatever we may be anxious about, that thing is not going to affect our being. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to switch our identification. Why are we anxious? Because I am this person and I'm about to face this difficulty or this um, condition may arise or something, we, we're anxious about it. It's all rooted in this wrong identification, I am this person. Mm -hmm. So instead of concerning ourselves with this person or with the, whatever it's anxious about, hold on to our being, we thereby withdraw ourselves from the one who is anxious. We separate ourselves from the one who is anxious and then the anxiety will automatically calm down. But our aim is not for the anxiety to calm down. We're not concerned about the anxiety. We're only concerned about to whom did this anxiety appear? Hold on the one to, to the one to whom the anxiety appears. And do we have to have our eyes? You know, in the ideal setting at home, you can have your eyes closed and do that. But in real life, when you're experiencing this at a work scenario or something, and you have to answer back to people at that moment, how do we quickly come back to that being? Why do you need to close your eyes? Um... We close really? our eyes because we want to be free of distraction. Mm -hmm. But merely closing our eyes doesn't free us from distraction because when we close our eyes, the mind continues working. So the, the only effective way is to turn our attention back towards ourselves. If our attention is turned towards ourselves, it doesn't matter whether our eyes are open or closed. So even if I'm having a conversation with someone and then something triggers, then I, how do I, when I, you have to respond to the other person at that moment, how do you come back to? Just pay attention to what you say. Even if I am having a conversation with a person, I have to respond. The I is there all the time. You can hold on to the I and the conversation will go on as it's meant to go on. Hmm. So be in that witness, you mean? You can say it like that, yes. But we we need to understand what is meant when it is said that we are the witness. The reason it is said that we are the witness is when we rise as ego, we identify ourselves as a person and we undergo so many experiences. If we, are, we undergo these experiences, we're fully identified with this person. We are told that we are the witness. In other words, we are the experiencer. So in order to enable us to separate ourselves from, that is, this person is an object known by us. Now we are fully identified with this object. But if we remember, no, I'm not this object. I'm that which is knowing this object. I'm the witness of this object. It, it, that helps us to begin to separate ourselves. But then we shouldn't continue imagining, I'm witnessing, I'm witnessing. We need to, the, the, the reason we are told we are the witness is to help us to recognize the distinction between ourself, the knower, and whatever is known. Once we recognize that distinction, we need to hold on to the knower. So this, the, 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 the practical implication of the term witness it's very deep, but it's often misunderstood by people. They say, oh, you just have to witness your thoughts. 
so long as you're witnessing your thoughts, your attention is on the thoughts, you're missing the point. We don't have to witness the thoughts. We, all we need to witness is a witness. We need to turn our attention back towards ourselves, the knower, the witness of everything else. But the whole point is turning our attention towards ourselves. And is that even possible, like a practitioner like you for years? Because it's like, I, I see it keeps running outward, right? Like all the time you're losing that. That is, that is the very nature of the mind. It will always keep running outwards. What do we have to do? Doesn't matter how many times it runs out, will we have to bring it back again? Hmm. I this, thank this, you is the, this is the same for all of us. It's the nature of the mind. It will always be running outwards. But like, however many times it runs outwards, we need to bring it back within. It's only by this constant practice that we will, as Bhagavan says in Nana, by Ippadi Paraka Paraka, um, Manataku, uh, Tan Pirapidatil, Tangi Nikkam Shakti Adikadi Kindradu. That means by practicing and practicing in this way, that means by constantly drawing our attention back to ourselves, whenever it gets diverted away towards other things, by practicing this way, for the mind, the strength to abide, to, to remain firmly in its birthplace, in its source, increases. So we can gain the strength to hold on to self-attentiveness only by Constant practice. Doesn't matter how many times our attention slips away, we need to bring it back to ourselves. Michael, we have a question here. So, uh, Mukta, thank you for your series of questions. I think we, in our waning time, we'd be best to get to however many people we can. And uh, correct me how to pronounce your name. It looks like it's Sad <laughs> Sadas Shiva. Is that it? Yes, Sadas Shiva. Okay, and where are you from, Sadashiva? You're new here. Welcome to our group. Um, I attend the UK satsang quite regularly, and I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is about one mile north of uh, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Well, good to have you here with us. Uh, I'm sure you're very, very familiar with Michael then, and you have a question for him, I gather. Yes. Um, first, uh, Michael, let, let me say that... Um, I was in an accident a few years ago and my vocal cords were damaged. So just bear with me. No and, problem. Okay. Let me also say that uh, it's an honor to listen to your teachings. You're like a living encyclopedia. But uh, my These question- These are not my teachings. It's only Bhagavan's teachings. I, I understand, but you're very- astute and very well versed and uh we all appreciate it i'm sure but um my question is is it possible that self has manifested the ego in order to have a means to discover its oneness why would the one need to manif need to project manyness in order to know itself as one? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> the the um, I asked that same question to some Vedanta swamis of the Ramakrishna order, and they said because self cannot know itself 
as self. It needs something other than itself to know its self as oneness. That was the answer. But that is a, that is absurd because self is Swayam Prakasa. Oh, no. Self knows itself just by being itself. I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The question I posed was, uh, uh, I, I, I'm I'm having a hard time recalling. They said um, the reason. Oh, the jugged. The jugged manifested. Um. I, I think that was the answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I've heard this answer many times. This is a very common answer. This is many Advaitins give this answer. Yes. But that yes. is. But we need to understand there are many different levels of explanation given within Advaita. Advaita is though Advaita means not two. It's also not one in the sense that there are so many different understandings of Advaita. Everyone understands Advaita in its in their own way. So from the very early times, from even Adi Shankara, many of the explanations he gave in his commentaries on the Upanishads and Prasthanatraya, Bhagavad Gita and so on, he gave many diluted explanations because he knew people wouldn't be satisfied with the deeper truth. So more diluted explanations have to be given. Even Bhagavan sometimes, in the course of conversation, he would give more diluted explanations to satisfy people. But if we want Advaita in its purest form, we need to go to the original works of Bhagavan. In works like Uludu Napadu, Nana, um, uh, Upadesha Undia, uh, Amavidde, Aranacha Stutipanchikam and so on, he's giving us Advaita in its very purest and most practical form. If you you look for a purpose for ego, you're assuming that ego exists. But the very... Ego doesn't exist because the basic principle of Advaita is there's one only without a second. Since there's one only without a second, multiplicity is just an appearance. And multiplicity, since it's an appearance, to, in all Advaita, everyone will say, yes, everything is, it's all an appearance. But Bhagavan goes one step further. He said, to whom does it appear? We need to investigate ourselves, one to whom it appears. It appears to us only when we rise as ego. Because does the world appear when we're asleep? It doesn't. It appears only in waking and dream. Because it appears only in the view of ourself as ego. So does the world actually exist? No, it just seems to exist in the view of ego. Does ego actually exist? Ego seems to exist. We seem to be ego so long as we're looking outwards. If we turn our attention back within to see what we actually are, we will see there's no such thing as ego at all. Therefore, the final truth is ajata. There never was any ego, therefore never was any world or anything. There's what is alone is as it is, eternally and immutably. Under that premises, that would mean this teaching doesn't even exist. Yes. 
but <laughs> it seems to us to exist. Though this teaching doesn't actually exist, it's very useful so long as we're aware of the seeming existence of things other than ourselves. Bhagavan comes along and teaches us, see yourself. If we follow what he teaches us and turn our attention to, back towards ourselves, we will see that we as ego do not exist. Therefore, everything doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is what we actually are, which is Satchit, pure being awareness, Satchit Ananda. Okay, I'm not there yet, but I still say, we, 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 and thank you. Yeah, we're all not there yet. That's why we're still here talking about these things. When, when, when the Dvaita becomes our experience, then there'll be no other for us to talk about these things too. Sanashiva, thank you very much and welcome to the group. It's good to see you and you came through crystal clear for all of us to understand every one of your words. Sadashiva is a very nice name. It means the eternal yeah. auspiciousness. That yeah. is what we actually are. Yeah. And speaking of that, as we talk about all these things surrounding the, the topic of ego and anxieties and frustrations and... Um, Everything else that's negative that comes up in a person's mind from time to time. Somewhere along the line, I picked up the idea of oversimplifying it, perhaps you will say, although for me it works. All of a sudden, popping into my mind is nothing exists except the I am. I mean, that's obvious. You learn from day one following Ramana or the Course of Miracles or Sai Baba or whomever that nothing exists. But it has a calming effect. It's a visceral thing. And it momentarily, at least, relieves me of the pressure of whatever anxiety I was thinking. Because I just simply repeat to myself, nothing, no thing exists other than the I am. And I guess you get to the point when you do that 15,000 times, you start to believe it. It's, it's a good palliative, but it's not the final solution. Okay. The final solution is to see what actually exists. And what <laughs> actually exists is only ourself. So we need Isn't to see ourselves as the only existing thing. Then only will it become clear to us that nothing else actually exists. Until we see ourselves as we actually are, we are lumbered with the, with the seeming existence of all these other things. Isn't that the same thing the, 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 compared to what I said? No, because you're, you're just talking about when you remember that, it's a relief. Yeah. But it's not the final solution. The final solution is not just to seek relief from all these things. The final solution is to seek who is the one who, to whom all these things appear. When we turn our attention back towards ourselves, we as ego subside and dissolve back into our source. And then the one that alone exists alone remains as it always is because all appearance is only to ego so when ego dissolves everything dissolves this is why Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Uludunapadu if ego comes into existence everything comes into existence if ego doesn't exist everything doesn't exist ego itself is everything therefore investigating what it is is giving up everything. That means investigating what this ego is, is giving up everything. Be because if we investigate this ego, 
only if only if we investigate this ego, this ego will subside and dissolve back into its source. When ego dissolves, everything else dissolves along with it. Because everything else exists only in the view of ego. Thank you, Michael. It's what what I'm saying is we shouldn't be satisfied with just temporary relief from our troubles. Because we get temporary relief every day when we fall asleep. But that's not a solution to our problem. We need to... To, we want what we all are seeking is permanent relief, and that permanent relief can be found only by looking deep within ourselves to see what we actually are. Great clarification, Michael. Thank you. In our waning minutes, let's try going to a couple of newcomers here. Uh, Beverly, you you've been shaking your head a lot in agreement with Michael, uh, and and you're from the Course in Miracles, mm. not with Ramana. Oh, do you have any comments or questions that uh, you'd like to pose today? And welcome again. Oh, um, well, just generally the effect of listening to this kind of detailed, one-pointed um, revealing of nuances and stuff is is just wonderful. It's it's so helpful and. Um, I was just reflecting on how I used to fight with language and, you know, I was an ESL teacher and applied linguist and stuff and fighting with language and accuracy and, and meaning and making meaning. Um, this, this isn't conflictive. This is just revealing, like offering, loving, revealing. Um, I, I just love being here. And I just love every time I'm brought back to the, very pure one-pointed place of well we'll one-pointedness one on the one but alone actually exists namely i yeah. yeah yeah thank you great great thank you um matt this is your first day here do you want to hit your mute button off and uh have a comment or a question for michael or just an observation well, uh, I had a dialogue with Michael yesterday, <clears throat> actually, uh, and um, that will go on. We were speaking about the five sheets body, and, and uh, but I that will, I have um, this, this is a thought process going on, and I will come back to you later, Michael, uh, if you're available. Yes. So uh, I have a, what might be a simpler question today. Yes. Um, so. But it is uh, referring to Tamil, so maybe not everybody here is. You know, the, the, there are three things started with Ul, you know, and they could sometimes even sound the same, you know, and one of them means being, and one means thinking, and one means uh, heart. Right? You agree? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking particularly about the M1, the Mangalam verse 1, where this. <laughs> you hear yes. a lot of ul. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, my question then, which might be a simple question. <laughs> so we have this ul meaning being and this ul meaning thinking. And then the heart, is that the third ul or is it one of the other two? And, can, and, and then after that, I would like to speak a little more about this heart. Okay. Um... Uh, they're three three separate words. Ul as a as a verb is the is is a, 
is a tenseless verb but means to be. So from that verb, we get, for example, uladu, which means that which is. Um, uh, uh, um, they, uh, there, there are many, uh, that is the ullapadi, um, uh, as it is. He, he says in the answer to the rhetorical, to the, in answer to the question he asked, he says, ullate, ullapadi, so there the ullapadi and ulladei is the verb ul to be. There's also a verb ullu, which is to think. So that's actually the verb to be is just ul. The verb to think is ullu. But uh, a verbal noun form of that is ullal, which is thinking. Um, there's also an um, ul also means, ul as a noun means inside or home uh -huh. or heart. So um, it, it's, they're actually three separate words, uh, but uh -huh. they, uh, they can take many different forms. Yeah, so Bhagavan is playing on that in that first verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's playing a yeah high stake game because it's about the ultimate reality. So, yes, yes, yes. It's a very, very I, beautiful I, I, verse that, and very, very deep in meaning. Yeah, I love it. So <clears throat> I want to also ask, and this is not no longer mostly about the language, but because of these three things, of course, it, it is it is kind of entangled with Tamil. But yes. anyway, this heart. When I read Ramana's teachings, uh, you know, like being and, and consciousness, those words, of course, are naturally occurring. Yes. But yes. then, and, 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 also, and, and, two, and the two together, you know, being consciousness and like such it. Mm. So I don't feel the need of a third word like heart. And often it seems it it's kind of means the same anyway. So I wonder if you want to... Mm. If you have anything to say about the function of using this word heart, also, what what does it contribute, or or whatever do you want to say about it? That is, in most languages, there's a, a word equivalent to heart. Um, for example, um, some recently one person wrote to me: the word heart means an organ in the body. So why does Bhagavan always talk about heart? Well, in English. Heart doesn't just it that is that is one meaning of the word heart, but often we use heart to mean the center or the 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 inside of something. The heart of the matter is this. So we we often use the word heart in the sense of what is most central or what is most inward, the innermost. So Bhagavan. Bhagavan uses, there are many words in Tamil that mean heart, but some, like the word ullam, ullam means heart. It can also mean mind, but anything that's inside is ullam. So in some contexts, Bhagavan uses the word ullam in the sense of mind. In some contexts, he means it in the sense of, um, of the ultimate heart, what is innermost, which is I am. 
So we need to understand the words from the context, the sense in which he's using the words from the context. So in its deepest sense, the word heart means what is innermost, what is most central. That is only I am. We can explain it in this way. What is at the center of all experience? The experiencer. That is, whatever we may be experiencing, we as the experiencer are at the center of that. And what is at the center of the experiencer is the fundamental awareness I am. So uh, the ultimate heart is only I am. I am is the center of everything. So it's a very useful, if, if we understand the, what Bhagavan is saying, the words he uses, often he often uses words in a metaphorical sense, but it's, we, once we get a feel for the, how Bhagavan uses language, we can see he's actually he's, he's handling words in a very skillful and very nuanced and very, very deeply meaningful way. Often yeah, that, the words Bhagavan, was... often the words Bhagavan use, they have a. It's not just the surface meaning that we need to look at. We need to understand the underlying implication. Yeah, that that is uh, why I asked this question because I I knew that could be something juicy yes. coming up from, from this. Well, thank you, Max. I appreciate it, and I appreciate your being here and joining us today as well, too. Time for one last real quick question, if anybody's got one. Uh, otherwise, we'll wrap it up with a final. Yep, hold on here now. We got Gotham uh, and David. Can you both make them very brief, starting with you, Gotham? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, uh, Mr. Michael. Uh, just wanted to check, is there any other place where we can watch you live in a month? apart from once in a month, because we have only one chance of once in a month here. But if there is any other live uh, conversations happening, is there any other place where we can log into? Okay. If you go to my website, do you know my website, happinessofbeing.com? Yes. There's a contact page there. On that okay. contact page, there's a, a section on the regular Zoom meetings and the context okay. for all the different groups that I talk to on a regular basis. Okay, so I can yeah. enroll in that. Yeah, yes, if, if you go there, you can contact each of the groups individually and ask to be sent. Um, sent uh, a request. That is, there's, yeah, a group, sure. there's a group in London. I have a meeting with them twice a month. There's a group okay. in uh, Houston once a month, and there's a group in Delhi. Okay. Excellent sure. question. Other people have the same idea, the same desire. Uh, can't get enough of Michael's allowing Ramana to pass through him. <laughs> I want to make sure. I okay, right, that. right. That, that's okay. David, thank you. <laughs> you've been waiting two hours. What's your question? Michael, thank you. How, how can one know with 100% certainty, as Bhagavan seemed to realize at the age of 16, that I will never die? We all know with certainty that we will never die, but that is, we all have a sense of our own immortality. That is why 
now we're all, our bodies are getting older. We know death is coming closer and closer and closer. But still, does our own death ever see, seem realistic to us? Yes, we know the body is going to die. But does it seem realistic to us that we are going to cease to exist? Bhagavan said, this, this sense of immortality is there in all of us. Even in the midst of a battlefield, when a soldier sees his comrades falling, uh, 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 falling all around him, he, he, then, and though he may be feeling fear for the, all the danger, but somehow there's that sense, I will not die, I will not die now, I will not die now, because we know there's that, there's that deep inside ourselves, we know ourselves to be more immortal. Because what we actually are is immortal. But mortality is only for the body. So long as we are, um, as we are identified with this body, in other words, so long as we rise as ego, we mistake ourselves to be something that is obviously mortal. So we're, the ego is a state of confusion. The immortal is mistaken to be mortal. But what is aware is mistaken to be what is not aware. This body has no awareness. But we take this body to we who are awareness take this body to be ourselves. So ego, the very nature of ego is confusion. Because we are taking one thing to be another thing of a completely different nature. So the fear of death will always be there. That that is the fear of death and the sense of immortality live side by side in ego. We have fear of death, and at the same time, we know ourselves to be immortal. So we're in a state of confusion. If we want to be free of this confusion, we need to remove this false identification. We need to be aware of ourselves as we actually are. When we know ourselves as we actually are, then we, what we actually are is eternal. It's, it's beyond time. It's not, even, it's not even that it's ever existing. It's, uh, because if you say ever existing, that implies time. It is, it's eternal in the sense of it is beyond time. And that is what we actually are. But we can know that only by investigating ourselves and experiencing ourselves, being aware of ourselves as we actually are. So the answer to all questions ultimately is the same. We need to look within and see what we actually are. And seeing what we actually are means being what we actually are. Does that adequately answer your question? You, you, you've muted yourself. <laughs> I yeah. feel like Satshiva. I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think... You know, also that uh, we are here because we're not all there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I heard your question, David, in, in myself, not in you, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Uh, it comes from that area that still exists within the confines of whoever in the heck I am. It comes from doubt. And I, I thought by now all doubt would be completely eradicated. But every once in a while when the times get tough or whatever, I find that doubt creeps back in ever so little. And I think- Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I have had the experience of <clears throat> uh, 
absolutely unqualified happiness, uh, uncontingent happiness. I have known, I know deep in my heart that I am essentially happiness, unbounded. I know this. But of course, that also is an adjunct, just like God is an adjunct. Um, but I have had this experience. To know, but to know with certainty something, for example, that I will never die. You know, I can know this too, intellectually at a certain level. I, I know this. Um, <laughs> in my heart, I know this. But we forget. <laughs> we need to go deeper and deeper into the heart. When we say we know it in our heart, that's still heart in a superficial sense. We need to go deeper and deeper into this heart. And when we penetrate into the innermost depth of the heart, there the clarity will shine, which will remove all scope for any doubt of any sort, because it will remove the, the illusory experience of the doubter, namely ego. And I see Mickey there holding her hand over her heart symbol as if... Uh she relates more than ever before. Michael, this has just been wonderful. David, thank you for a great question to end us on today. Uh, I hear the, the lunch bell ringing somewhere in some cultures around the country, and it's time for us to say goodbye. But before, Michael, um, maybe it's my imagination, although I don't think it is. You're always excellent when you come here. Every first Sunday of every month mm -hmm. is exceptional. I don't know why, but today it feels like you've taken us to another level. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here with the others to enjoy your understanding of what Ramana wants for us to know. And it comes right from Ramana through you. And I understand that with greater clarity now, too. So thank you for that. Right. Yeah.